When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Ah! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, Hawks executive Arthur Trish. Do you not have privileges with the rookies? You can't make them take care of that? Ooh, you think I'm going to tell Ivan Johnson something? Are you crazy? I value my life. With your host, Galliot Anderson. Stop it now behind your head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's executive vice president of basketball operations, Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, the players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of the nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip-off. Couldn't have a more appropriate uh, bit in the intro than the spot Dave Zyron made about Amari Stoudemire, Seku Smith from the Hang Time blog at NBA.com, Lang Whitaker, my co-host in New York in Amari Town. Hello. Uh, hello. Should, should we even waste any time? I mean, we got a great show lined up today on the Hang Time podcast. Our main man, John Schumann of NBA.com, is joining us today covering that heat nick series and uh what are they what are they calling it extinguisher gate uh amari gate what shoot what are they calling that thing up there uh i don't know you you, you can make i'll i'll do that to the, <laughs> for the, to the new york post all i know is i haven't i haven't typed the word extinguisher so many times <laughs> I, i've probably typed that word more times in the last two days than i have uh you know the rest of my 36 years on this <laughs> Well, the, um, big, the big irony is, like, he didn't actually hit a fire extinguisher, right? Well, he did. I mean, he basically is a fire extinguisher with a cover, you know, with a door on it. Right. And uh, he put his hand through the door, basically. Okay. Um, and, yeah. you know, he, he explained it today, and it was interesting today, you know, he, he met the media sort of for the first time um, as the rest of his teammates were practicing. And... Um, seemed to downplay the whole thing sort of in two ways. One, you know, in that post-game frustration like that happens all the time. You know, guys kick over water coolers. They knock over chairs. Right. He just happened to put his hand through a piece of glass. And then, two, he downplayed it in that he thinks he says there's a great chance that he'd be able to play game four. So, um, whereas, you know, the Knicks listed him as doubtful for game four. Um you know, our man David Aldridge had a source that said he's definitely out for the series. So he sort of tried to downplay the whole thing. You know, yeah, I'll be, you know, I'll be back soon, that type of thing. And 
uh, it was interesting. You know, he he tried to stress that he he hit it with an open hand and not a closed fist, and that it was completely unintentional. He was just trying to you know vent his frustration and make some noise. He said, and you know, I was just trying to make some noise as he walked back to the locker room. So it's an interesting little. Uh, Thing here, you know, a lot of the media here thought that he should have been more apologetic in front of the cameras, you know, that type of thing. Um, he did apologize on Twitter the other night, so that's the huh. the one thing that I noted. But nothing, nothing like Twitter to apologize. It always that always soothes it. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. John, seriously, is the 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 circus aside? They didn't. I mean, it it didn't look like from watching these games that the Knicks had a chance, regardless with or without Amar. Do you think this changes the the duration of this series at all? I mean, do you think it gets over quicker because of this, or I mean, where no, does this leave the Knicks that, just in terms uh, of no, the series? No, I don't. I don't necessarily think it's a big factor in what happens in Game Three. I mean, the facts are that Knicks have played better without him, you know, yeah. all season long. They've been better offensively. They've been better defensively without him. You know he's a he's a liability defensively, and then offensively he has sort of no real chemistry with with Carmelo Anthony. They don't you know they don't make each other better. Um, and he hasn't you know he's taken I think like 18 shots in the first two games. So and if he's not you know a integral part of the offense and he's a defensive liability, you know I think they can be okay without him, and they still have a puncher's chance just like they had in any of these games just because of how explosive they are offensively and because Tyson Chandler can sort of anchor that defense. Um, but with the Heat, if the Heat play like they did in the first two games, I don't, I don't think the Knicks uh, have a chance to win a game here. Well, yeah, that was, that was going to be my next question is if, if the Heat play like they did the last two games, I don't think the Knicks have a chance either. But how do they uh, – what do the Knicks do to have a chance? I mean, they just have to make buckets. I mean, it's just it's a matter of um, being able to, you know, Carmelo's got to go off, and then they also need big games from, you know, guys like Novak and J.R. Smith. Um, Novak's been interesting. He's only taken five shots in this series. You know, he hasn't been able to get free on that weak side at all. Right. Um, which has been sort of an, an interesting piece. But I think, you know, the first two games, what I took from the first two games is the Heat offense has just been so good. Um, and this is a team that really struggled offensively the second half of the year. Um, in terms of efficiency, they had the number one offense before the break and the number 24 offense after wow. the break. And so going into the series, I thought that was the big question. Are they going to be able to sort of flip the switch offensively? You know, all their, you know, LeBron's had a great season from start to finish, but their, you know, the supporting cast has really been bad after the All-Star break. Uh, Battier shot poorly. Haslam shot poorly. Chalmers shot poorly after the break. And so it's a matter of are these guys going to make shots, you know, when the, when the ball's taken out of LeBron's hands, the ball's taken out of Wade's hands, are these other guys going to make shots? And so far that's happened. Um, Mike Miller has shot really well in the series. Patty Ace hit a few threes. Um, Chalmers has used his quickness to get around guys like Baron Davis and, and Bibby. Um, Aslam still hasn't can't make a shot, but, you know, if, if the other guys are doing okay, I think they're in pretty good shape. So I think that's been the big thing is that the, the Miami offense has really been um, sharp in the first two games and against a, a team that the, the Knicks were a top-five defensive team in the league this year. So I think that's it's not just saying – you know, it's not uh, a little thing to say that, you know, the Heat offense has been really good. John, I'm, I'm curious, what are the 
what's been the reaction or the maybe the 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 mood you can get from the Heat players? Watch, you know, I mean, a, a team that's used to a circus-like atmosphere all year, you know, all the time. What's been their reaction to the circus that is the Knicks coming to town and all of this craziness? I mean, they 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 have to breathe a sigh of relief. Like, thank goodness there's something there's somebody here to take some the attention away from us for once. Yeah, I think they're they're thankful that yeah that yeah I think they're thankful that you know the the focus and the the scrutiny maybe is more on the other side of the of the floor and I think they're they're doing a good job so far of staying focused themselves. I think they've um, handled everything so uh, handled everything well this season. Um, you know, haven't had any uh, any sort of headline headlines you know so far off court headlines or just you know, quote bad quotes or something like that, like they did last year. So I think uh, you know, they're handling themselves well, and I think they're they're in great shape so far. I think they're you know you, you couldn't ask for a better start from them uh, to the playoffs. Yeah. Do you I, feel like um, my bad line? Do you feel like this is this is an opportunity? I mean, this is a real opportunity for them to sharpen something before they get to that next round. Because I mean. With Derrick Rose out now, everybody's kind of just assumed that the Heat will blow past everybody else and get to the finals. I mean, do you think any, anything that they're going to face in this series is a, is a real test that prepares them, you know, for whatever lies ahead, or is this is this just kind of them going through the motions to 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 finish off a team that's really not going to challenge them? No, I, I don't definitely don't think it's them going through the motions. Just because, like what I said about them offensively in the second half of the year, I think they they needed to get guys in rhythm. Bolster um, has said he wants Mike Miller shooting 10 threes a game, which, uh, you know, that would be uh, uh, that's a shooter's dream. You know, I'm sure Jadakiss would love to pay, play for Spolster. <laughs> uh, yes. Words uh, like that. So I, I think definitely, you know, the Knicks are a little bit of a test, and they, they're a good defensive team. Um, and obviously they've just been so hot and cold all year, so it's hard to tell, you know, how good of a team they are, but they've been a good defensive team all year with Chandler. Um, and like I said, more important to the Heat, it's about themselves and getting that supporting cast in rhythm offensively, having those guys play with confidence, shoot with confidence, um, you know, make knock down some shots, give uh, LeBron and Wade some space offensively to drive. I mean, those guys have been great. They're, they're attacking the basket, getting to the free throw line. And so if they have those guys attacking and the other guys shooting, shooting well, they're they're in really good shape. John, I know when you finish with us, you're going to head over to the um, press conference where it is uh, assumed that Tyson Chandler is going to be named Defensive Player of the Year. Um, what, what was your take on on him winning that award? I oh I agree. I think he was my pick. Um, I didn't have a vote, but he was definitely my pick just because. You know, the Knicks were a top-five defensive team, and he was playing with, you know, alongside two or three sort of Matador-like defenders almost every night. I mean, he, he sort of <laughs> he really changed the culture of this uh, team defensively. Um, and, I mean, this was a um, – they were ranked in the – they've been, you know, in the 20s basically defensively for the last several years, and all of a sudden he comes here um, playing next to Amari and Carmelo, two guys that are not good defenders. Um, and they're all of a sudden the top five defensive team. So I think, I mean, he's he's largely responsible for that. And 
I definitely agree with the uh, with the pick. Why do you think? I'm curious, just from your opinion. Why do you think Dwight Howard didn't get it this year? Well, uh, the, the Magic weren't one weren't as good a defensive team as the Knicks were. The Magic ranked like uh, I want to say 12th or 13th defensively this year. Usually they're a top five, top six team defensively, but this year they fell off. They just weren't as good on that end. I mean, it was a weird season, obviously, so the statistics have to be sort of taken, you know, with a little bit of, you know, an understanding that there was a crazy season with all the uh, back-to-backs and all that stuff. But the Magic just weren't as good a defensive team as the Knicks were this year. And, um, you know, I think that's part of it. And then I'm sure there's, there's some sort of media backlash with the way Dwight has acted this year i haven't seen the voting so i don't know who, who even finished second at this point so um but yeah i think the the personality part of it probably played a little bit but i, I uh, even even if if dwight didn't act so crazy in the last couple months i think uh chandler was the more deserving candidate do, do you think john that's fair for people to hold some of that off the court stuff against a, a guy dwight or anybody else when they're uh when we're talking about these awards, and I mean, I guess it's inevitable in some ways. You always bring some personal feelings about it into it. But do you think that's fair for people to, you know, to date the white? It depends. I mean, it depends. You know me. I'm a numbers guy, so I'm going to stick to what yeah. happens on the floor. But I think if you're if you're talking about like an MVP, I think there has to be some sort of leadership uh, factor there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about defensive player of the year, maybe. There, it's there, but I think in the coach of the year and MVP, there's got to be some sort of, you know, how does this guy carry himself type of factor in the award. Um, yeah. In it. So, yeah, I think it's it's valid to, to put that in your reasoning for certain awards, maybe not for others. Yeah. Um, just got a, a breaking news blast, guys. Josh Smith of the Atlanta Hawks uh, suffered a strained left tendon. Uh, last night in that in that uh, loss to the Celtics, he's uh, listed as day to day. That brings up a, an, another interesting thing, uh, John. If you start running down the list of names of guys who are either injured before the playoffs, have been injured since the playoffs started, or what have you, I mean it's a it's a pretty robust list of guys. Um, I was trying to think back and remember the the last time we saw this many guys, uh, you know, out of the mix already in the playoffs. And of course <clears throat> I couldn't think of a specific year that would have, would have, you know, compared to this. I've, I've read all this stuff about people saying that, Hey, the shortened season, the lockout, everything, blah, 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 goes into, into play with this and all the injuries. I, I don't believe that. And like I, you and I haven't talked about it either. I don't, I don't know what you think, but I'm curious. What do you, what, do you think this is just horrendous luck? This, this caused all this stuff happening, or do you think there might be something to, the way the season was kind of picked up out of nowhere and, and, and camp was, a, you know, three or four days in the, in this compressed schedule and everything. You think that has anything to do with all these injuries we're seeing? Oh man, I have no idea. I really yeah. don't. I, can't, I wouldn't want to speculate because I, you know, I'm not a doctor or any sort of expert on that stuff. I mean, but when I see like Shumpert go down with that, that torn Achilles, like I, or torn ACL, like I don't know how, I mean, how he's affected by how many games yeah. he's played or how many days he's had. I mean, I, you know, that's it's 
it's kind of speculative to, to assume that. And, yeah, yeah. I have no clue. I, I, so. I read a thing the other day. I can't remember where I read it. It was an interview with a doctor. About, Ashburner did. Yeah, Steve yeah, Ashburner it? had that. Yeah, and it was I'm about how, like, how those kind of, those types of injuries are just, like, it's total bad luck. You know, right, that's, what no, that's what I think. There's nothing you can do that, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if Derrick Rose had played one minute or 40 minutes. Exactly. Um, it just happens. Um, so, you know, I think maybe maybe during the season the schedule might have – you might have seen more guys sit out games with injuries, like smaller things, you know, little wear and tear yeah. things that they wouldn't have otherwise. But I don't think we can look at the schedule and come to, you know, come to any grand conclusions about anything. Yeah, see, and that's what I think. But then I had a guy arguing me down in the airport the other day, you know, like, oh, come on, you come on, you got, you, you can't be serious. And I'm like, well, how could, how could you connect those dots, you know? Because um, it, it's not like it's one specific injury that's been happening to guys. It's, it's this all manner of crazy injuries, like, you know, Kwame Brown, Al Horford, teared pec muscles. And, you know, I mean, it's just been such a, a wide array of, of crazy injuries. And I, to me, it's just colossal you know, like this colossal, uh, you know, storm of, of craziness that is a, all these guys would get injured, thi- you know, this season or, or now as opposed to anything, you know, directly related to the fact that, you know, there was a five-month stretch where nobody was sure if there was going to be a season or not. Right. Yeah, the same thing always happens like the year after the Olympics when, when a few guys from, <laughs> from the Olympic yeah. team get hurt, you know, or international guys that play in the Olympics get hurt. They always – they always sort of try to say, oh, you know, playing year-round, uh, you know, they're worn down and all this. Yeah. It is, it is so freaky, though, that in the first two playoff games that two guys tore their left ACL. I mean, how crazy is I that? I mean, yeah. I, know. Well, I mean, this has been a crazier season in terms of everything that has happened seems magnified, you know. Um, I think because a lot, everything seems like it's heightened and uh, – you know, because I, I thought that the, I thought the way we ran into the into the playoffs was interesting. In that, you know, normally we go in and there's some teams that we all identify. Most people identify as this team or that team is the one that's that's got the best chance to win. After after these first few games, I, I love what I see from the Spurs. I, I know Miami's strong, but I'm not ready to I'm not ready to just punch anybody's ticket yet all the way through. I'm I'm still a little hesitant about everybody. For one reason or another, John, do you feel like some teams have clearly established themselves as kind of front runners, or do you feel like there's too much basketball to be played to to start uh, talking like that? Well, in the East, I think it's the spur, it's the Heat's conference to lose. I mean, yeah. but with Rose out, I mean, there's just no, you know, there's just no other team out there that can really um, stand up to Miami as long as they're healthy and playing you know, uh, close to their ability, you know, as long as they're playing well. And like I said, that sporting cast is shooting well. So I think in the East, it's the Heat's, it's the Heat's conference to lose. But in the West, I have no clue what's going to happen, you know. Yeah, I mean, just, oh, I mean, Oklahoma City, you know, escaping with two wins against Dallas and um, the Spurs, I mean, it, it depends a lot on how they're shooting. If they have a couple bad shooting nights, you know, from three-point range, they're in trouble. Um, and I like the Lakers. I think the Lakers are are a, are a contender, but then they've had they've they've been so sort of inconsistent down the stretch. So yeah, yeah. I, I I think it's wide open. 
Well, I mean, you, you're the stat man. I, we got to come up with a stat that can give us a. No, I'm serious. We got to come up with some theory or formula that can give us a some insight. I mean, wh- seriously. I, I, I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, but isn't there something we go back and look, John? Yeah, there's, there's, there is, there, out, like, there's one. There's one stat called wins and losses. You can look at. <laughs> <laughs> there's I'll one. There's one thing. Like um, I was looking at last. I want to say, I don't know, several champions, I want to say maybe like 14 the last last 15, they finished in the top 11 in offensive and defensive efficiency. And the teams that did that this year were Miami, Chicago, San Antonio, and one more. I'll give you a, a couple of, I'll give you a guess to see who the fourth team was. The Atlanta Hawks. Nope. <laughs> Thank you. You want to guess? Uh, the only team I picked to sweep in the first round. What? The in- Indiana Pacers. Indiana? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so, but then, of course, with the the schedule being so unbalanced, like more unbalanced than it usually is, as far as the East playing West and, and stuff like that. You know, all the East teams sort of had you know the East teams at the top. Chicago, Miami, Indiana, they all sort of, you know, you have to think that their stats were a little skewed, you know, just because they played um, all those bottom feeders in the East more right. than, you know, the West teams did. So it, it's, again, if you're looking at stats, this year is a tough year to, to really to look at, and that's why I think it's, it is wide open. You know, it's right. a tough year to look at because there's one shortened season and two, you know, the compressed schedule just, you know, there's just some wonky uh you know, game results out there, you know, the Spurs, you know, that one game where they had guys off and they just got crushed by the Blazers. I mean, that kind of thing can throw off the numbers uh, a little bit. So, and, and it's hard to, so then look at the regular season stats and, and say, and compare them to last season or to the year before or, or to the last 20 years or anything like that. Yeah. Well, you, one, one last thing, John, I know you, I know you got to get, to work uh, in New York there. Um, you mentioned the Olympic team, and that's something that we haven't talked about, but with these bodies going down like this, left and right, what what do they do for big men or, you know I mean, to, to fill some of these spots? You know, Derrick Rose, that takes one of your point guards away, but you got, a, you know, plenty to choose from, obviously. But what do you do for big men in the, on the Olympic team if you know you have no Dwight Howard to, uh, to choose from? I think you pray that Tyson Chandler stays healthy over the next uh, <laughs> week, number one. Um, I think Kevin Love is a pretty much a lock right now to to be there, and Chris Bosh right. is another. So that's three guys I think you're in good shape. I think, obviously, they'll need another sort of emergency big man, and uh, there's been talk of, of maybe even Anthony Davis being added to the pool. Right. Uh, of DeMarcus Cousins being added to the pool, Greg Monroe. Those were some names that I've thrown out earlier today. So we'll see. Um, we'll see what happens. But I think with Chandler, Love, and Bosch, you're in pretty good shape, especially since Love and Bosch are two guys that can shoot. And yeah. you're not, they're not limited offensively. Um, right. And obviously Chandler has a bunch of length. And obviously when, when they're looking at their big man, they're looking at that matchup with Spain and, you know, the Gasol brothers and, and, and Serge Ibaka. So right. uh, they have to make sure that they have their four deep, you know, in the in the at the power forward center position. Even though like LeBron will be their starting power forward, but they still need 
four true bigs out there, I think, on that roster. Yeah. Well, should be interesting, man. We Listen, we appreciate it, John. I know you got to hustle up and uh, and get busy up there with the uh, press conferences and Amari and Extinguisher Gate. I'm going to see how many times we can say the word fire extinguish. The words fire extinguish on the podcast today. Let's see. <laughs> I use a good headline. If you check out the Hang Time blog, I'll, uh, I used a, a very New York Postish headline. I said, "Sotomayor uh, oh, downplays glass smash." I thought it was very. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. John Schumann of NBA.com joining us on the podcast here, man. Thanks. We we will make sure we read every every word you write, my friend, from the series, and uh, see you down the road. All right, fellas. Appreciate it. Talk to you later. Thanks, okay, Thanks man. Well, Lang, the the Knicks. Uh, Heat series is is one of many. We didn't get a chance to talk these other series at the top there. Um, uh, I was in Oklahoma City for the first two games of the the Thunder Mavericks series. Two great games, by the way. Um, like a like an extension of the Western Conference Finals last year, but better. Yeah. You know, the the Thunder came back more mature, more seasoned. The Mavericks not the same team, obviously, as they were, but still an absolute nightmare, you know, for anybody that has to play him. Dirk playing out of this world. Got a little chippy, by the way. Yeah, they did. Dirk got a little physical the other night. I I tweeted, I don't know if you saw, I tweeted out, Dirk Dirk called Kendrick Perkins several names that uh, are synonymous with not being a tough individual. Uh, (laughs) I was kind of surprised to see come out of Dirk's mouth. And they weren't, he didn't, he didn't say him in German either. This was, this was the the Queen's English, and it was it was pretty impressive by Dirk just just to see him stand up and get physical like that with Perk. You said I think it was you. You might have been Schumann who said earlier that uh, the Thunder sort of survived those two games. And but the more I think about it, the one I don't I don't know if they survived or if they did what it took to win. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, it's it's not like they they played terrible to me. No, not at all. Not at all. They played they pretty well, but Dallas played I thought well above everyone's expectations. Yes. And I mean, I you know, being there, you're watching it and you and you're saying, you know, they get up 16. Yeah. In game 2. So they had a chance to run away with it and, and couldn't. Um but I I don't I don't think I agree with this idea that they survived. I think that's the narrative that that Rick Carlisle and, and some of the Mavericks are trying to throw out there like, hey, they're lucky to survive us. The Mavericks had a chance to win the games and couldn't do it. But the right. Thunder, by the same token, the Thunder had chances to win those games in the West Conference Finals last year and couldn't finish. So it's really about whether or not you can close the game out. And I think the growth and maturity you see in Russell Westbrook right now and Kevin Durant is just a sign that those guys, at 20, even at 23, are, are growing up and learning how – to handle their business. I agree. I think that also, you know, with Dallas, we kind of, they kind of lulled us to sleep a little bit in the season. <laughs> and they, you know, everyone kind of wrote them off and they're like, well, they don't have Tyson Chandler and they lost these other guys and they're not going to be what they were last year. And yeah. they still know how to win. They still have Jason Kidd. They still have Jason Terry. They still have Dirk Nowitzki, you know, like they're, um, I think, you know, if, if I'm Oklahoma City or an Oklahoma City fan, in no way do you feel like having a 2-0 lead is is really safe in this series to me, especially no. going back to Dallas. No, there, there's I, – I, I think the Clippers and Grizzlies game, the opener of that series proved to everybody that nothing is sacred as far as a lead right. in the playoffs. Um, I, you know, and I, <clears throat> the weird thing is, I, you know, being in Oklahoma City and being at the games – 
you get a feel for what a home court advantage can do for somebody or, you know, that home court atmosphere can right. do. It's, it's maybe no more pronounced than in this series between the, the Mavericks and Thunder. Two, two teams who are perfectly capable of going on the road and winning games. They proved that last year in the playoffs. Um, but I, I was struck by just how un, unaffected the Mavericks are. And I, it may have something to do with the way they went, you know, went about winning that championship last year. Completely unaffected by the, the the circumstances of the arena and the crowd had nothing to do with them playing playing well the way they did, and I'm wondering how how long is it going to take the Thunder to develop that kind of skin, um, right? You know, when you got so many young guys with their hand on you know hands in the cookie jar, so to speak. You know, Westbrook, Durant, uh, you know, Serge Ibaka, Harden, who by the way. I, the more I watch Harden in person, the more I appreciate his game. He's, a, and I was telling somebody who said, who's that sitting next to me? A guy from the Tulsa paper was sitting next to me, a columnist. And I was telling him, I said, you know, it's hard to appreciate what Harden does when you watch the Thunder on television, because you know he he finishes the night with 16, 17 points or whatever, and four or five assists, you know, four or five rebounds. But Lang, I'm telling you, I, he gets to the rim. Yeah at will against whoever. I don't care if it's Jason Terry guarding him, Sean Marion guarding him, and I don't care who's waiting for him at the rim. He gets to the rim as, as easy and as often as he feels like it in a league where, you know, there's no more sacred thing defensively than protecting the rim. Um, do, you, do you think the Thunder have the, the tools to, to get to the finals this year? Well, about Harden, I, I, you know, the, the great comparison with him is Ginobili. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because they're both lefty and they both kind of play that zigzag style where that's how they get to the, you know, yes. they kind of cut through things. And somebody said earlier this year on the beat on NBA TV that the, I think it might have been DA. They said that the Thunder actually run a lot of the Spurs Ginobili plays for Harden mm-hmm. um, to take advantage of that. But the comment you made earlier about, you know, to these young guys, are they going to have the skin thick enough to get through this? You know, I think maybe this playoff is the playoff that they developed that if you look at the, right. if you look at the brackets, like they've, they've got an incredibly tough road if they're going to get to the finals. Cause they yes. got to beat Dallas. Then they got to play. looks like probably the Lakers. And yes. then they would probably have to play the winner of the other side, which could be the Spurs. Spurs yeah. And then they got to play the, yeah. And then they got to play yeah. the best team in the East. Right. So, I mean, they've probably got the toughest road um, out of any of these teams in the playoffs to get, to get a title. So if they're going to develop that, thicker skin this is going to be now yeah the one the the, the funny thing i got donnell mayberry was sitting a, a seat over from me and we were talking during the uh-huh. game you know off and on and uh the the thunder do have that one scary trait that that, that always frightens me about certain teams they can go four or five minutes without coming down and running a good play and getting a not a good shot but getting a shot like a reasonable shot you know they don't have some of these teams, you know, and your beloved yeah. Hawks, we talked about. You know, you can watch them for five or six minutes stretch when they're when they're just going up and down the floor, and they're not really running a set that gets them a a decent look at the basket. And yeah. the Thunder, unfortunately, have that. They have that same flaw. I call it a flaw because I think that's one of those dangerous things that can get you beat in the playoffs. That's what got them beat last year against Dallas. Is they got out of rhythm, and and really kind of just started freelancing. Darnell, <laughs> Darnell, of course, looks over at me when I'm complaining about this and I'm tweeting it. And he looks over and he goes, I told you. 
You know, he's like, this is what I was telling you about on the podcast. He's like, I was telling you a lang about this. And I said, yeah, I said, I do see where that could be their issue. That <clears throat> That's the one thing that if the Thunder get caught up in not, not understanding the pace and, and, yeah. the, and how you have to kind of grind your way through a game sometimes. Now, Russell Westbrook, who, who takes a lot of heat, like, he's been fantastic in the series yeah. so far. Um, that mid-range jumper he's been oh, nailing. Yeah, it's oh, been awesome. Yeah. Um, the thing with the thing with that, you know, the offense, and you saw it last night in that Hawks Celtics game, I think, because you know, for the first whatever seven quarters of that series, I think the Hawks have played some of the best offense they played in the last few years, at least in terms of moving the ball, sharing the ball, um, not kind of falling back into that ISO Joe stuff. And then in the fourth right. quarter last night, it kind of <clears> went away, especially down the stretch. They just ended up. You know, they were just getting one pass, two passes, trying to get a shot off. Um, and yeah. and that's kind of what the Thunder have done, I think, a couple times at the end of these games is they don't, you know, they, they kind of lose the ball movement. They just kind of run a pick and roll. And if it works, it works. And if not, um, that's it. So I, I agree with you in that sense that, you know, with Dallas, there was plays at the end of the game last night where they were running or whenever night that was where they were running guys off double screens and all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah. And I think for the Thunder, that's one of the things that they've got to watch out for to not fall into that trap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a dangerous thing <clears throat> when you start handicapping who has chances to win titles. And I mean, I was joking with you about can we come up with a formula to predict the champion? Um, I heard in an interview with Kobe Bryant talking about the fact you need to be able to, you know, defend and rebound at the highest levels to win championships, and that's a simplistic way obviously of saying it but he i think there's a lot of truth into what he says in terms of you have to be the team that can dominate or, or at least win those battles over the course of the playoffs if you're going to win a championship we see it all the time i mean yeah. the, you know in 04 when the when the the lakers stack and kobe and carl malone and all those guys to you know everybody assumed they were gonna win it they ran into a detroit team that could out rebound them and out defend them yeah. um and to me i agree uh, when you don't have the the superstar factor completely overrunning the finals. That is where a team can win it. I thought Dallas did that last year with the third component being you can defend, you can rebound, and then you have the absolute closer, you know, in, in Dirk being able to go out and finish off games. I, I'm wondering, do you, and I, I've thought about this just looking at the teams, looking at the matchups. The rebounding part is what worries me about Miami. Um, if they were to run into a team like the Lakers, with that size and you know all that, I I think that we we could be in store for some great matchups down the road in these playoffs, especially once we get to the final. If we get you know certain matchups in the finals, where we'll see teams that are more evenly matched and <clears throat> excuse me, a lot like last year when no, when people are, I, you remember it, even even though Dallas had come through a gauntlet to get to the finals last year, everybody right. just assumed <clears throat> the Heat were going to beat them because they had bigger stars or more stars. Right, um, right. And that rebounding and defense, you know, theory that Kobe talked about, to me, seemed like it ruled the day. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, uh, we, I could be tripping too far into this thing trying to – I don't know. I want a theory. I want something to give me a head – you know, give me an edge up on predicting what's going to happen here. You know, I talked, I talked to Rondo um, last week and before the playoffs started, and he was saying that to him a lot of it in the playoffs is, is rebounding – um, your defense and the execution in your half court offense. And yeah. I mean, 
those three things are all three things that the Celtics do really, really well. Um, <laughs> and that's what, look, that's what Dallas did really well last year too. Um, yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's a team that I really think has all three of those things um, this season that I can, that I can just say, Oh, I, I think this team's the favorite. I've been yeah. saying Oklahoma city all season um, just cause they were, I thought the, one of the best teams in the regular season, they've got enough young guys that if one of those guys is having a, uh, I mean, enough young stars, if one of those guys is having a bad game, the other yeah. two guys can carry them. But, yeah. um, you know, maybe that's the same trap we, we fell into with Miami last year. Yeah. No, that's interesting, man. It's, it's a, it's a, I'm just, uh, you try and break down all these different things going on. And that, that's the great thing about the playoffs now, man, with all these different people covering the league and, you know, writing different stuff about the league. There's all these, you know, interesting ways to look at it. But at the end of the day, you know, you got to have, I think Rondo's right. You got to have those specific things to, to outlast the opposition. And you see it time after time in the playoffs, the team that executes best, you know, the team that can impose its will. I thought, that's what I thought Paul Pierce did last night Yep. Um, against the Hawks. I, was, I just kept watching him play after play in the fourth quarter when he's getting through the Hawks defense and getting a shot, whether it's at the basket or pulling up for jumpers. You got to have a guy that's got the energy and and the refusal, you know, to to beat the you know that just refuse to be denied attitude. Because I'm telling you, when I tell you how gassed some of the players on both sides are when they get to these timeouts in the playoffs, lines, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like Sean Marion was working so hard on defense on Durant in Game One, and for for Durant to beat beat them on that shot, man, it was it was crushing for Marion. I know. Um, yeah. Because the dude worked – I mean, it was unbelievable how hard he was working to guard this man on, on that. And I got Nick Collison, by the way, who's been working his tail off. He, I don't know if you saw He fouled out with nine minutes left. <laughs> I saw it. <laughs> working his tail off trying to guard Dirk. You know, and after a while, you throw your hands up and say, what else do you want a guy to do? Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, just uh, – just, uh, I, I love the playoffs. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of other people out there obviously like that, but – the intensity and the way people crank it up, when they say that there's a different level you have to take it to in the playoffs, there's no doubt about that. Lang, we got one more special guest joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast this week, our very own Steve Ashburner of NBA.com. You mentioned earlier about the, the story that the doctor, you know, doctor was saying that these injuries that have been going on, you know, all season and throughout the playoffs are not, you know, connected to the lockout. Steve, I, I know what the doctor said, but I can imagine people in Chicago don't want to hear it. They, they need some explanation for, for this whole thing blown up in their face like this. Well, yeah, it's always nice to have someone to blame, even if it doesn't <laughs> fix the, uh, the predicament, right? Um, and they, you know, they don't, really want to, they don't really want to blame Tom Thibodeau, although you know, there have been people that have questioned, well, why has he got that guy in so late in a, in a lopsided game? In the past, generally it's Luau Deng or Rose, um, but you know, it's, it's playoff game and no sooner did, uh, you know, did the Rose thing happen when the Bulls were up 12 points with, uh, a minute and change left, then we saw that massive comeback by the Clippers against the Grizzlies. And you figure, you know, woe to the coach who takes out starters, you know, when a team is fixing to do that. That's yeah. a great, great point. What's, what's the, uh, I mean, do, do, are Bulls fans now, are they, you know, do they feel this? The playoffs are done. I mean, what's the what's the general feeling there? Yeah, I think I think there is a lot of that. I think that I think that everybody's fighting uphill 
to you know to 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 cope with that and to and to be plucky and to you know buy into the whole uh you know you're not out until you're out and it's a team game and you know but come on i mean this is this is this is more than a and a baseball team losing a guy who's going to, you know, they're going to see every fourth or fifth game. I mean, this is the this is the guy for for the Chicago Bulls. And the, and the worst part about it is, you know, I sat there and watched Game One, and it seemed like he was, you know, what what is it now? Butterflies come from caterpillars, right? You could see him <laughs> going from caterpillar to butterfly, even as that game played itself out. And, mm-hmm. and it was almost like, you know, in my mind, he was taking inventory of his various skills. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I got that now. I got my, I got my, my lateral quickness. Oh, okay, yeah, I got my hops. I got, you know, and it was almost like a checklist where, okay, yeah, that's, uh, he looks like he's getting back to, you know, it was not a perfect game. He started out rusty, particularly his shooting, but, by late in that game, and, and I think that probably contributed to it, he, he felt, it looked like he felt that he could play with the same abandon as ever, as if he had been playing and, and was in a groove and, and had built up, you know, calluses for the season and all of that, and he had missed so much time that when he did one of his explosive, violent even jump starts or jump stops and, and uh, two-handed, two-footed leaps, you know, then uh, it was it was too much uh too much torque on that on that left knee, and and uh, you know I, I, that that ligament exploded, and and I think the um, you know it, it, it you, you you read what some of the doctors saying it was almost like it happens to the most healthy um, strongest athletes because yeah. you know they put too much stress on parts of their body. So if he'd been worn down and ground down by sixty six games in four months, you know you can make a case, and I don't know who's right and wrong. You can make a case he wouldn't have jumped with that explosiveness. He wouldn't have had that force behind it. And just that little difference might have, uh, might have saved him. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's gloomy here. Let me just say that. And, and I think it was, it was evident last night because I'm not sure the bulls nor the fans knew how to navigate, you know, the mix of emotions. They, they, they're feeling sorry for themselves yet. They also know they have really nothing to lose. They're getting to wear the underdog, uh, uh, outfit for the first time, and, and that hadn't been theirs for a while. You know, they, it's like okay, nothing's expected of us, but nothing's expected of us, and that, that's a hard way to go about your business. Yeah, Steve, do you feel like uh, I know the initial shock of this and, and and all that stuff is still fresh in the minds of, of people in Chicago, not just the fans, obviously the people who cover the team. What's the prognosis? You know, ten. 10 to, you know, 14 months from now for the Bulls? Do they feel like, you know, you're going to have to spend all this time with him rehabbing, then you have to see where he is when he comes back and what kind, you know, I mean, how do you build, continue to build your team when you're unsure of what Derrick Rose might be like after this injury, after an injury this severe for, for a young guy who's, you know, at this stage of his career? Totally, totally valid question because uh, right now, I mean, it's the playoff situation that, that hurts so much. But eventually, you know, the end of June will be here. They they will have been eliminated even if they'd had Rose or they would have won the title, but but everyone would be past that. And, and you start to look ahead. Well, when the Bulls look ahead now, it's a lot with a lot of great unknowns. Um, you know, will Rose come back as the same player? If he does that, how long will it take? If it takes a while... What about the rest of the team? I mean, where you know, where's Rip Hamilton by the time Derrick Rose is is fully 
uh, healed and, and able to do what he did. Where you know what state is Carlos Boozer's game in at that stage? Um, you know you, you've got moving parts here, and and to have them all sort of lined up. They had them lined up. It looked like they were going to to beat fate and line them up on the fly this spring. Even though the the season itself had been sort of a you know a scramble and and, and pockmarked by by injuries. Um, certainly they, they, they must have figured that, you know, between this spring and next year, um, you know, those are two, that, 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 that's a two-year window. And, and you yeah. know, in pro sports these days, two-year windows, you can't really ask for more than that. But if Rose doesn't come back until, you know, February, and he's not 100% the, the player he was, and if he ever gets there, he might not get there until, you know, the, uh, the 13-14 season, well, you know, where, where are these other guys now? Where's their game at? I mean, is, is Joe Kim Noah broken down in some way? Um, you know, you, you just wonder whether they'll be able to get all those ducks in a row. And, and, I, and I think, you know, that's a, that's a different kind of worry. And I think the, the, probably the one that overrides them all is, is will Derek Rose be an MVP caliber player again? Will he be a perennial all-star? Will he be in the discussion as a top five player in the NBA? Because that's the guy that they've had. And, um, you know, if he has to take his game, you know, more court bound, if he's a hundred mile an hour pitcher who has to learn how to hit corners now, um, you know, that that's a different that's a different animal. Yeah. Um, looking more short term, Steve. I mean, without Derrick Rose, obviously the Bulls are a different team. They were pretty had a pretty good record without him this season during the regular season. How do you think uh, this Bulls team reacts now in in the playoffs? And you know, just looking ahead for the next couple months here. Well, I expect them to react better than they reacted yesterday. Yeah, um, I think they really, uh, and, and maybe they were drained by emotions. Maybe they weren't no really, they didn't know how to how to cope. Maybe they hadn't taken a moment for themselves to to let it all sink in. But but I thought that they, um, you know, they didn't do what they did during the regular season in terms of fundamentals, just playing good team defense. They actually were a better team when Rose wasn't on the floor defensively. Than, than when he was during the season, um, you know, rebounding, getting back, just, just, you know, stopping Philadelphia in the open court and not allowing that sort of stuff. They need to do all that stuff. There's no reason they shouldn't be able to beat the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, except that now the 76ers, they're, they're a pretty confident bunch. I mean, and they're going home. They, they want a game here. They see their opening with, with uh, Rose's injury. And, you know, if, if this is the 76ers of the first half of the season, then a you know a Derek Roseless Chicago um, could be in trouble, and I you know they were eighteen and nine without Rose, but they always knew that either tomorrow or next week or something he's going to come back. Right. They don't have that now. That 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 ship has sailed, and they're going to have to do it alone, and and that might put guys in in situations where they feel stressed that wasn't there before. Steve, do you do you think that you know? Th- this this paves. And I know a lot of people have said it that this kind of paves the way for the Heat to just walk, you know, waltz their way to the Eastern Conference Finals and back into the finals. Do you see anybody out there legitimately that could knock the Heat off? I mean, everybody was assuming that if there was going to be a chance, it it had to be the Bulls or, and and maybe Boston. Do you, is anybody out there that can really you know give make the Heat sweat sweat this thing out? Well, Boston, you know, didn't have. Too many problems with Miami in the regular season, if I recall correctly. And, you know, they that game they won last night and Paul Pierce sort of stirring the echoes and, and uh, 
getting them past the Rondo suspension. Um, you know, I think if there are people that are still sort of cranky about what the Miami Heat from last year and all, Boston in the East is is their best uh, is that is those folks' best hope um, to to mess things up for Miami. I, I picked Miami before the season began. I picked Miami again as these playoffs began to uh, to win the NBA championship, not just get to the finals from the East, but. You know, I, I do. Uh, you guys might have a different opinion, but I just don't think the supporting cast around those three guys in Miami is even as good uh, this year as it was last year in in, in a number of ways. Uh, you know, you can you can identify you know individuals and in, in certain moments, but I'm not sure that as a you know another five or six players that, that Miami is as well off as they were. So. I think they're vulnerable. Um, I would have loved to have seen Chicago at full strength against Miami at full strength. Um, but, you know, maybe Boston, if not Boston, I don't see anybody in these stopping no. well, I'm I'm a little upset, uh, Steve, because I was looking forward to a big dinner at the Ashburner <laughs> residence in the Eastern Conference Finals. And now I'm I, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I'm just saying it's it's in danger. Um, well, I kind of stiffed you guys last year in the Eastern Conference <laughs> Finals. You came into town and – you know, uh, all my crew, and then and I somehow dodged that. So I figured I'd be resourceful again and and uh, dodge it. I, so I didn't have to go to these lengths to. Uh, now I'm going to end up on the road more too. So I, I'm going to miss those home games if the Bulls can't go as far. I know, I know. But uh, well, listen, we appreciate you, man, and uh, we know you're busy. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll we'll get back with you, of course, down the road here in the playoffs, Steve. But it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens in Chicago. Chicago and beyond now with this with this Rose injury and, and kind of how they pick up the pieces and move on. So take care and tell uh, tell everybody up there in Chicago we say keep the head up now. Yeah, I'm glad to pitch in any time. I am plenty photogenic for podcasts. <laughs> Steve Ashburner. Thanks, Steve. Com, join us. Thank you, Steve. You well, Lang, I, you know, the, at the rate the news is churning out during the playoffs, we we might have to make Gerald come to work every single day and do a pod, put a podcast together because to me we feel like we missed too much stuff. The Rose injury happened the other day and it seems like it happened weeks ago now. I'm down uh, to do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it'll be, you know, I'm I'm riveted by not just the series I'm you know I'm seeing, but the, but certainly all of them. And uh, this first round, however teams get out of it, is going. to it's going to be a grind for everybody, but the 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 following rounds will be just as grueling uh, for all the teams involved. So, um, shout to uh, John Schumann of NBA.com and Steve Ashburner of NBA.com for joining us. Uh, Lang Whitaker, my co-host in New York with Starberry, uh, get a nap, brother. Get some rest. I, you know, yeah, get get you a little rest, and we'll we will do this again next time. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. Download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at Seku Smith NBA and Lang with it. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. 